Thank you so much for tuning in to this message from New Life Church. Stay tuned because what you'll hear this morning is guaranteed to help you know Jesus better. So we're, we're walking through Mark's gospel, and we're in chapter 6, so that's really fun. And we're in Mark's gospel, and we're going to come to a, a text this morning. And it's, it's a text that, to be honest with you, it's, um, <laughs> as I was studying it, kind of writing things out, it, it made me think of a, like a meme type of thing that, I, that you kind of see floating around the internet at the beginning of the year. And so we, we, we recreated it, but it's this meme that basically talks about like, how to live like Jesus did. And you see it in January, but I think it's always good to be evaluating living like Jesus. And so I'm going to have him throw it on the screen behind me. Um, this, is, this is basically me, and we recreated it because of what I'm going to do. But this, this year, I want to be more like Jesus. I'm going to hang out with sinners. I'm going to upset religious people. I'm going to tell stories that make people think. I'm going to choose unpopular fa- friends. I'm going to be kind, loving, and merciful. And I will take naps on boats. <clears throat> and even when I was like, I showed the meme to my son, Jack, and he's like, it's funny because of the boat thing. And I'm like, yeah, that is why it's funny, buddy. You're, you're smart. And so th- it's this meme, and, and to be honest with you, like, the author probably in no way, whoever created it, in no way said, like, this is the only way to follow Jesus. This list is exhaustive. Like, I don't think they're pretending to do that. But, like, I, so I look at the list, and I think it's kind of funny it, it kind of bothers me, actually. And here's, here's why it bothers me, okay, is it paints this picture of Jesus that I think is, is really, really acceptable. And the problem is, is if you look at Jesus, that he wasn't that acceptable. And I mean, even if like, you look at this list, and, and I don't know if there's any, anything on this list that we would be upset about. I mean, even like the, everyone loves the idea of upsetting religious people. When I read it, people laughed because religious people are crazy, even though we're a bunch of them. But like, you know, I mean, and like even the idea, like choosing unpopular friends, like I think that the idea that God would do that, I don't think that anyone's like, man, the fact that God would do that, no, we're like, that's great. Like there's nothing on there that you're like, I don't know. And here's the thing though, like as Jesus lived his life, I mean, he lived in a way that killed him. Like, people watched him live, and they killed him. And, and they didn't kill him just because he was really accepting of everybody. They killed him because of things that he did, things that he said, things that he taught. And so I wanted, what I want to do this morning is I want to take this list, and I want to add to it. And, and here's what I'm going to say. As I add to this list, I'm not pretending that my list is exhaustive either. either. I just want to get more of a full picture of who he is and what he came to do. Because I think it's a very noble goal to say this year or this summer or this June, I I want to be more like Jesus. In John the Apostle, he says it this way in his letter to the church. He says it it in John chapter 2. He says, by this, we may know that we are in him. So he's like, by this, this is how you know if someone's a Christian is what he's saying. Whoever abides in him ought to walk in the same way that he walked. So if we were like, okay, how do I, if I want to be like Jesus, then how do you do that? Is you f- figure out how he walked, figure out how he lived, and you try to do the same thing. And the text that we see this morning in Mark's gospel is a text where you, honestly, you get a really neat picture of how Jesus lived his life. It's in Mark's gospel, Mark chapter six. And we'll pick it up in verse, in verse one, and it says this. 
he went away from there. Jesus went away from there. Where did he go away from? He just raised a little girl from the dead. So he just left raising this little girl from the dead. And he came to his hometown. And his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, Jesus began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom that's given to him? How were such mighty works done in his hands? Is this not the carpenter? the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and his household. Verse five, he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and he healed them. And Jesus marveled because of their unbelief. Look at this text. Honestly, it feels pretty basic, right? I mean, if you look at it in perspective with what we've looked at the last few weeks, it feels very basic. Last week, we looked at a story where Jesus healed a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years, and right after that, he raised a little girl from the dead. Pretty crazy, right? The week before that, there was a, a man who had thousands of demons in him, and he cast the demons out and threw them in some pigs. Like, again, pretty crazy. And then the week before that, Jesus is like on a boat sleeping. So, I mean, like the, like the, the thing the meme says, and he's on a boat sleeping, and then he wakes up, and he calms the storm with his word. Again, pretty epic. And then this one, it's like, he goes to a town, and they don't like him. Feels very basic. And I, I think it's good, though, because it shows us a picture of how he walked, how he lived, of the things that he did. And if we're going to say, okay, this year, this June, this time, I want to be more like him. We see what he's like here. And so if we're going to add to the list, I think the first thing that we could add to the list would be this, that if you want to, if you want to be more like Jesus, then what you can do is you can invest deeply in people. That if you want to be like Jesus, you have to invest deeply in people. And here's the problem or the challenge with that. That means that you have to like be around people. And let's just call a spade a spade. Our culture doesn't really love being around people, do we? Like what do you, Joanne and I literally like two nights ago, we were in our backyard talking and our conversation was, I'm so glad we have a privacy fence. <laughs> like, I was like, man, this is just so nice. No one will bother. Like, we can just be back here by ourselves. This is great. Like, that was our conversation. And I mean, you guys are like me, right? Like, you pull into the driveway and you go in your garage and you go out and talk to all your... No, you don't. You close that garage door and you pray to God that no one saw you. Like, that's what you do when you get home. And don't even get me started on what you do at the grocery store. I know. I know. You see that person that you moderately know and you're like... I'm going to spend a lot of time in this aisle where I don't need anything because maybe we'll avoid a conversation. Like, I know you. We all do the same stuff. For me, the worst one, though, is this one, okay? And I, like, this is so awkward. It's going to happen to me, like, today. So when you're, like, driving on, like, the highway, like, maybe Campbell out there, and you, you're next to someone who you know, and you, like, you, you both realize that you know each other, and you're like, oh, hey, how's it going? And then you get a, and you stop at a stoplight, and they're right next to you. What do you do? Like, do you, do you wave again? Because it feels like that's already happened. <clears throat> do you roll down the window and have a conversation? Because that seems kind of obnoxious. 
do you look forward and not just acknowledge, like, this is our, we've already acknowledged that we see, like, what do you, I don't know what you do. I don't know that there's a right answer, but we can all agree that in that setting, we all feel very uncomfortable, right? Like, and it's because the people, people, like, and part of, like, being like Jesus is saying, I'm going to put myself in a place where I have relationships with people that results in me investing in them in a significant way. And look at verse one. Okay, this is Mark chapter six, verse one. And it's, it's really interesting. I think, I like that Mark does this. And he says, he went away from there and came to his hometown and his disciples followed him. Now, the reason why I like this verse is if you really think about the story, that adds nothing to it. The fact that his disciples are with him doesn't really mean anything. This is a story about Jesus getting rejected in his hometown. So who cares who was with him? Why does Mark put it in there? The reason Mark puts it in there is because he wants to show us how Jesus lived his life. And he lived his life in a way that always brought people with him. I mean, even if you go back to the very beginning, how does Jesus start his ministry? He doesn't like flying solo. He starts his ministry by calling people to himself. I don't know how long he did it by himself. Because every gospel, it starts with him calling people to him. And even if you go back to the text last week, I think it's really interesting. Like, this is what Jesus does right before he raises a girl from the dead. Look at this in chapter 5, verse 37. This is what he does. It says, and he allowed no one to follow him. He's going into the room to raise a girl who's, been, who's died. Except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. But here you see Jesus with this commitment to say, okay, this is how I live. I live my life in community. I live my life with people with me. I, I want people to know what it means to follow me. And the best way for them to know what it means to follow me is through time. He knows that if, if they're with me, they're going to discover what it means to know Jesus better. And so every opportunity that he has He's figuring out a way to bring people with him on the journey. And if we're saying, hey, this year, I want to be like Jesus. I want to invest deeply in people. Then that means that like, we need to have that same type of commitment to our relationships. But I would also add that kind of like, it's not just having that same type of commitment to our relationship, but there's also this sense there for us, because we're not him, where if we want to invest deeply in people, we've got to be willing to give him the time to invest deeply in us. Like the reason why the disciples had something to give is because they were with him on the journey. That if James is like, hey man, I'd love to go watch you raise this little girl, but I got a lunch appointment. Like it's not gonna work the same for him. And for you, the things that you have to give, you don't really have anything to give unless you're letting him pour into you. And so starting by thinking, okay, I need to invest deeply in people. It starts with you saying, what am I doing to allow him and to give him the space to transform my heart in a way that I know him better? Like, do you have a plan? Is there some, are there things that you do where you look at your life and you're like, you know what, if I were to just kind of zoom out, I'm closer to him than I was X amount of time ago. And, and like, that, that's how we do this. This is how we have something to give is by putting in the time to know him better right now. And for some of us, maybe who, you've been doing this for a while. Like you've been walking with Jesus for a long period of time and you're like, you're in. I would just ask you, like, are, like you, you have the things that you do, but is it transforming your heart or have you just gotten really, really good at your routine? <clears throat> because I think sometimes what we do is we're like, yeah, I've got this thing I do. I don't miss, I check the box and I'm good, but we never really evaluate like, 
Yeah, but is it, am I growing? Yeah, but am I, am I, am I changing? Or is it just something that I, I do to get out of the way? And so you, you see that this, as you grow, you see this commitment to pour into other people. And so for you, like, are you investing deeply in other people? And the, the most natural, easy place for this to work out is, is in the home. You know, for parents, the most important thing you can do for your kids is to be committed to discipling them. And I would just say this to you as a parent. I rarely see kids go further spiritually than their parents. So as you look at your relationship with God, and if you're like, man, I just don't know that it's where I'd like it to be. I know that there are things I need to change. I know that I should be more committed to these disciplines. Like I, want, like, I would ask you, like, are you okay with your kids being at that place when they're, in, when they're at your age? And if the answer is, well, no, absolutely not, well, then really the pressure's on you to figure it out. Because the most important thing you can do for your family is teaching them how to love Jesus and what that looks like. But it's not just for people who have kids. Like, everyone has spheres of influence that we have. And the question is, are you stewarding those spheres of influence well? Are there people in your life who look up to you? And if they do, what are you doing to push them along? What are you doing to show them like, hey, this is what being a Christian looks like. Hey, this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. Hey, this is, this is something that I've committed to because I love him. Are you bringing people with you on the journey? If you want, and, and it's kind of uncomfortable because it means like you've got to kind of like do that. But if you want to be like Jesus, part of being like Jesus is investing deeply in people. And you're not going to be able to do that without having like relationships with people. And this is the beauty of the local church. Like the part of the reason why we're asking you to serve is because we need help. But the other part of the reason why we're asking you to serve is because here's why I know what will happen. That when you serve, you'll build relationships with people. And as you build relationships with people, you'll help each other know Jesus better. It just, it just, it's, it's how it works. This is one of the reasons why we push groups so hard. The second week of September, we'll launch our groups again. And you should start thinking now about how you can make it work for your schedule because what happens is as you do life with other people, you're being like Jesus because you're all investing deeply in each other. Like, this is why Jesus brings people along for the journey. And here's what, this is what I love. Okay, if you look at both verses side by side, that, that Jesus wants his disciples to really know what it looks like to follow him. Okay, so you've got verse 37. He brings these people off, like, with him. And they get to watch a little girl raised from the dead. Could you imagine looking at parents who think their kid is dead and then watching them watch their daughter raise. Like that is a story that those three dudes are gonna tell the rest of their life. And we know they did because, well, we told it. Like that's a, I mean, that is emotionally magnificent. That is something that is like epic. But then you have chapter six, verse one. And what happens after that? Jesus brings people with him to a town where, they, where he should be accepted, but instead of them accepting him, they reject him. And he's showing them, this is what it means to follow me. Sometimes you're going to experience the magnificent. And sometimes you're going to be befuddled. 
Because he's, he's preparing them for what they're going to experience. So if you want to be like Jesus, invest deeply in others. The second thing that you see is if you want to be like Jesus, is if you want to be like Jesus, you need to be rejected and misunderstood. Like this year, I'm going to be like Jesus. I'm going to be rejected and misunderstood. Like no one wants that. Like, and we see it on here, and we kind of think of it with Jesus, and we kind of disconnect ourselves. And, and I know I kind of mentioned it with communion a little bit, but like, no one likes rejection. It doesn't feel good. I mean, for some of you, go back to middle school and that time you asked out that girl that you really thought was going to say yes. Like, that hurt you, didn't it? Like, you went home, you didn't want mom and dad to see you cry, so you locked your door and you said everything was fine, but everything wasn't fine. Why? Because you were rejected. Even as an adult. Like, as you're, that was, there was a promotion coming and you thought it was yours and you did all the right stuff, but they gave it to someone else. That hurts. Like, what Jesus is showing us here, what Mark is showing us, he's like, if you really want to be like Jesus, you're going to be rejected. That people aren't always going to agree with you. That you're going to do things that, that are going to cause people to put you at arm's length. And I think this is like... <clears throat> It's a cultural thing for us. That we've done this thing with Jesus where we've almost made it like anytime someone who's a Christian has an opinion that is controversial or difficult, there are a group of people who will watch them after they make that statement because it's controversial, it's difficult, and they'll say, You're not being like Jesus. And that's why I don't like this quote, like this thing, because it implies that the only people Jesus offended were religious people who were mad at him for being so accepting. But here's the thing, like the people of Nazareth rejected Jesus and it wasn't because he was so accepting. It was because he wasn't. I mean, look at what the text says here in verse two. It says he went away to his, there to his hometown and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, Jesus began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How were such mighty works done by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Nazareth is a town of like 500 people. It's not big. This is where he is. This is where he's teaching. These are common folk. And, and, and the scripture doesn't say what he's teaching. And the reason why it doesn't say what he's teaching is because it's likely the same message that he's been teaching the whole gospel of Mark. And you see that message in chapter 1, verse 16. And it's repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. So he gets up and he teaches in the synagogue. And what does he say? He says, my kingdom is here. And if you want to be part of it, you got to change how you live. The kingdom of God is at hand. If you want, you're going to change your life if you want to follow me. And what do they say? No. And basically, in essence, their argument is probably based on two things. There's probably this sense of like, why would God give him any power? And since he came from them, there's probably also this sense of like, who is he to tell us what to do? And, and, and you see like, man, 
the shots they take at Jesus here reveal that they were threatened by him. They reveal that I think that Jesus wasn't like just soft because what they say to him is super mean. And you see it in their questions they ask. The first one where it says that, is this not the carpenter? Like, remember, he grew up here. He grew up with these people. And so they're, as, and they're and asking, is this not the carpenter? What they're saying is they're saying really two things. They're like, we watched this guy grow up. And when we watched this guy grow up, I don't remember him training under a rabbi. He was always building stuff. Is this not the carpenter? And there's also this like subtle sense there too where they're saying, who is a carpenter to come into my synagogue and tell me what to do? Why should he be able to do that? Very inflammatory, very unkind. And then you have the line, the son of Mary. And in the first century, listing someone's mother only was, ne- it was always derogatory. That, that basically you could see it almost as like, a modern day yo mama joke without the winsomeness that comes with a yo mama joke. That it's, it's only mean. And remember, this is Jesus' hometown. This is Mary's hometown. And Mary's birth story is kind of unique if you think about it. Everyone would have known Mary was pregnant and not married, and her story was, I'm a virgin still. And they probably handled that story like we would if someone told us that today. And so part of what they're saying in saying son of Mary is they're saying, how can this guy who had an unwed mother come in here and start barking at us, telling us how we should live our lives? I mean, they're they're taking shots and this is what it looks like to live like Jesus. I mean, this is something that no one would want. That part of living like Jesus is going to places where you would think everyone would love you. Everyone would be excited to see you. And yet you go and they want nothing to do with you. That this is what it looks like. And not only that, but like it's like, they were, like, they misunderstood. They were abs- everything they said was untrue. Like, it, Jesus, yeah, he was a carpenter. He actually didn't need to train under a rabbi because he's God. He doesn't need a rabbi. And the stuff about Mary, not true. Again, not true. But it's part of, this is part of being like Jesus. Is that there are things about you that people aren't going to understand. There are things that people are going to say about you that aren't true. There are going to be things where you're misrepresented to groups of people. Like, that's part of being like him. If anyone would be in Christ, they must walk as Jesus did, and this is how we walked. This is how we lived. So as we add to the list, we add that. And then finally, as we add to the list, we see this last part. And on paper, it actually doesn't sound that bad, but it will in a second. And it's this, is that Jesus gave, he gave people what they asked for. So if we want to be like Jesus, we, we need to give people what they ask for. And this is probably one of the more controversial verses in the text. And it's controversial, and I'll just read it to you. It's verses five and six, and it says this. It says, He could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and he healed them. 
and he marveled because of their unbelief. Their unbelief was so crazy to him that he marveled at it. But the part that's tricky is that part there where it says he could do nothing. And R. Kent Hughes, he, he says it this way, kind of explaining it. He says that Jesus was morally compelled not to show his power. And it builds on what the commentator Schnabel says. And, I, and Schnabel says that, that Jesus' miracle working ability was reduced to a minimum effect of those whose faith was in him. Basically saying something here about Jesus that I think we know to be true. And it's that Jesus won't force himself on you. If you don't want him, he's not going to make you. And, and I just think of this text, and I think of, like, what they're saying. And, like, Jesus is so much better than me. Like, he has the power. Like, the, the question isn't whether or not he has it. I mean, we've seen it, like, the last few weeks, and him calming the sea with his word, casting out demons, raising the dead. Like, he has power that if he wanted to, he could respond to their line of questioning by saying, oh, you're going to call me a carpenter's son? Look at this, lightning bolt. And he, I mean, he could have done that. <laughs> and then he could have been like, and what'd you say about my mom? And then he could have like called the demons that he cast into the pigs up and created something from the upside down to kill them. Like he could have done that. He has the power. But here's the, he's not going to force himself on you. That if your response to Jesus is, I'm good, then he's going to say, okay, if that's what you want, that's what you get. And I think for us, it's, it's tricky. And so as we think about our lives, the question for us is, okay, is God working in your life? Like, is, he, is he answering your prayers? Is he showing up in ways that are obviously him? As you consider the like, condition of your heart, is your heart becoming more and more like him? And if you were to answer that by saying no, then maybe the reason why he's not doing it is because you're just like the people of Nazareth. Because he's not going to give you something you don't want. He's not going to grab a hold of you like that. That if you don't want anything to do with him, he's going to say, okay, fine. You're content with being familiar with me and you're going to find out someday that's not enough, but right now, whatever, that's what you get. And, and, and that's the text. Like, if we want to be like Jesus, this is how we can do it. And there's a million more things that we can add to that we'll discover for the rest of our lives. But, but I think as I, as I close, you, you see this picture of Jesus that is, I think, really true for us. And Schnabel, this is a quote from Schnabel's commentary, but he says, familiarity with Jesus does not guarantee knowing who he truly is. That everyone in the town knew, they knew things about Jesus. You could even argue they know more about Jesus than we did, or than we do. They watched him grow up. I mean, so there are stories that aren't in scripture that these people would have known about him. I mean, seriously, how many of you guys knew he had a brother named Joseph today? Like, they, they knew things about him that we probably were like, oh, I didn't know that. But here's the thing, they were just familiar and just being familiar with him doesn't mean that you know him. This is why our vision, our mission statement is that we exist to help people know Jesus better. Because it's our conviction that if you know him well enough to know him, you'll give him everything. Because he's worth it.
And if you're at a place in your life where you're like, nah, it's because you don't know him well enough. But he wants you to know him. And something I keep thinking about is that line where it says that he, mar- they, he marveled because of their unbelief. And okay, so just like, think about this with me. There are people there who were sick that knew he could heal them, but they didn't want him to heal them because they didn't want to make him Lord. And Jesus sees that and he's marveled by that. He says, I can make you well, but you, you, you just, like, why, why don't you trust me with that? And I think there are people in this room where the reality of your soul is that God wants to heal you. He wants to, he wants to make a, he's made a way for you to go to heaven, to be with him forever. But you're like, I don't want to let go of this. And he looks at you the same way he looks at them and he's marveled. How could they miss it? How could they be offered something so beautiful yet choose to reject it? And so it comes on you. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And I just pray this morning that we wouldn't be like those people when the truth is we are. God, I know that what you offer us is life. I know that what you offer us is peace. What you offer us is hope. But some of us were like, "Ah, I'd rather not make you Lord. And so God, I pray in this moment that you would work. I pray that people, as they look at their state, that they would have a commitment to walk in you that is committed to that more than anything else. Jesus, they would truly repent. They would truly make you Lord. They would truly give themselves to you in a way that transforms their heart and transforms their eternity. God, if there's anyone here who's like holding on to that, I pray that they would put their faith in Jesus and what he did for them. And they would live their life in a way that shows that their faith is in you. Jesus, we love you. And we thank you for the life that you lived. And I just pray that you would help us, God, to live like you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I love you guys. Thank you for tuning in to this message from New Life Church this morning. If you'd like any more information, you can check us out at nlspringfield.com.